Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Um, it's always good to finish up a year and start a new one. My prayer is that uh, we all grew closer to the Lord over the year of 2023. A lot of challenges in this year. We know what's behind us. We yet to see what's ahead of us. But one thing I know, Jesus is on the throne. He's coming back. I don't know when. We're certainly closer today than we've ever been. Amen? Amen. You know, I spent a little bit of time reflecting this week. I had some time with Josh and I and made me think a lot about my dad and some of the things that my dad said to me growing up. And I won't bore you with all of that, but I can tell you this. My dad never told me a lie. He always told me the truth. Truth wasn't always something that I wanted. It wasn't always something that I enjoyed. But I could count on Dad to be truthful with me. I remember when I turned 20, Dad said, Son, you better slow down and smell the roses. You're going kind of fast right now. He said, If you're not careful one day, you're going to realize that this world has kind of slipped away from you and you're going to wake up and be an old man. <laughs> you know, it seems like we started harvest just yesterday. Right, Dave? And we're almost 23 years old. Time flies. And the older you get, the faster it gets. That's the truth. So you young people, pay attention. You think you got all the time in the world, but you don't. We don't know how we don't know how much time we do have. I was preparing this message and looking in Second Timothy, and in one of my devotions, I ran across this passage in Second John. Probably not a, a, a book that you've read much about. It was a letter. But I, I want to read just a portion of, of this because I, I think it's important. It'll set the tone for what I'm going to be speaking to you about this morning. In 2 John verse 4, he said, How happy I was to meet some of your children and to find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. He said, I am writing to you to remind you, dear friends, that you should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and He has commanded us to love one another just as you heard from the beginning. He says in verse 7, I say this because many deceivers, notice that, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They've left the church. He said they deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body, such people, uh, such a, a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked so hard to achieve. In other words, your faith. You're not going to lose your salvation, but, but don't lose the spiritual maturity and the, the truthfulness that you've, you've come to know. He said, be diligent so that you will receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship 
with both the Father and the Son. Now notice verse 10. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. Friends, the devil will use anybody. And, and he will use us if we're not careful. Uh, the, the passage here speaks about truth. Truth absolutely matters. What you believe in our day is a very critical thing. It's crucial. And what you teach to the next generation is even more critical. Everybody teaches. We need to understand that. You don't have to have a title or have a position to be a teacher. You teach every day with the words you speak and with the deeds that you do. Christian, there are people that are watching you every day. Um, they're in the process of making up their mind about whether or not they should or will accept and believe in God. And, and I would say that there, there are more people that watch you uh, than will ever stop to listen to you. I'll also say to you that you earn the right to be heard of them by how you live. If you don't practice with your life what your mouth teaches, then they're not going to stop and listen to you. They're not going to listen to what you say. So you've heard that old phrase, practice what you preach. Be careful that you do that. Uh, you do preach a message every day. Be careful what you're preaching. Preach the truth. Teach the truth. Help people to know about God. Help them to know about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and what the Bible says. Um, teach them the truth. Now, to teach the truth, guess what? You have to know the truth. You can't teach the truth if you don't know the truth. Now, I can't speak uh, for any other denomination other than Southern Baptists, but there are a whole lot of Baptists uh, that are among us that don't know what they believe. That's true. And there are some that don't believe correctly the truth of God's Word. That's been going on for a long time. We're, we're considered to be people of the book, people of the Bible. But so often we don't understand, we don't know what we do believe. If you've gone through my membership class, then you've heard me make this statement that there was a time about 30 years ago when 40% of Jehovah's Witness were former Baptists. 40%. Now, you say, well, why in the world did that happen? Well, it happened because... There were a lot of Baptists that knew just enough to be dangerous. They were baby Christians. And so these Jehovah's Witnesses, they would come into the homes of, of us who were Baptists and they would pray upon us. They would make it appear as if they were just like us and believed what we believed. And then they would lead people down the path of lies and deception. It's serious. Listen, Jehovah's Witness don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I just said? They don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe he's just another prophet or another teacher. And so when you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, what are you? You're a cult. You're a cult. I'm speaking some hard words here this morning, but it's true. They're not Christians because they don't believe and teach the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And they're not the only ones that do that. There are other mainline religions in the world that believe the way they do. Now, this is just one of the examples of why it's so critical for you to know the truth of God's Word. You need to be able to recognize heresy when you hear it, when you see it. 
And, and the best way to expose the lies that are being taught there by religion today is to know the truth of God's Word. People who uh, are, are, are trained to be able to detect counterfeit money are taught how to know the real thing by studying the real thing. They don't look at counterfeit money to determine what counterfeit is. They look at the real thing. They, they study it. Uh, they study every minute, minute detail of the real thing so that they're able to spot the imperfections of counterfeit currency. Well, Christian, I want you to understand that God wants us to be well studied in the Word of God. To be able to open up the Word and know the Word. What did Paul write in 2 Timothy 2? He said, remind every one of these things and command them in God's name to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. He said in verse 15, work hard so that God can approve you. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid godless, foolish discussions that lead to more and more ungodliness. He said this kind of talk spreads like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are examples of this. They have left the path of truth, preaching the lie that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In other words, they're going out there and saying, hey, the resurrection's already taken place. And if you're still here, you got left behind, so there's a problem with you. He said, and they have undermined the faith of some. If you look at the King James Version, the text in, in, in that translation says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The message says, Concentrate on doing your best for God, work you won't be ashamed of, laying out the truth plain and simple. One of the things that I always admired of Dr. Billy Graham was that when he preached, he preached on a fifth to sixth grade level. He didn't preach over people's heads. He wasn't underneath them. He preached his message plain and simple. His goal was to preach the truth of the gospel so that anyone and everyone would be able to understand it. Listen, what good is your preaching and teaching if, if the people that you're preaching and teaching to don't understand what you're saying? Dr. Graham wasn't trying to impress people. He wanted to win your lost soul for Christ. That's what he cared about. Truth mattered to him far better than his personal prestige. He wanted everyone who heard him speak to know the truth about God. He was a whole lot like the Apostle Paul, who wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, when I first came to you, he said, I didn't use lofty words or brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. For I had decided to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. I came to you in weakness. I think a better word might be humility. He came humbly. He wasn't proud. He was timid and trembling. He, he, he stood before those he preached to with a lot of butterflies in his stomach. You know, he was serious, but, but he, he was really interested. He, he wanted to make sure he, he hit the mark, that they got what God had given him to preach. He said, in my message and my preaching were very plain. 
I did not use wise and persuasive speech, but the Holy Spirit was powerful among you. I did this so that you might trust the power of God rather than human wisdom. You know, in Paul's day, there was a very heavy emphasis placed on a speaker's mastery of philosophy and his oratorical skills. They, you know, that, things aren't any different today. Um, people today, when they look for a church, they, they want to find a fancy preacher. They want to find somebody that preaches really a good message and, and is, is a master pulpiteer, a great preacher. I actually heard a man refer to a certain preacher in our area not long ago as someone who had been trained in the skills of being a professional speaker from the pulpit. Listen, that, that's good. But when Paul preached, when he preached to the Corinthians, it, it wasn't with lofty words or brilliant, brilliant ideas, he says. In other words, he didn't speak with eloquence because his goal wasn't to impress people. He didn't want you to think highly of him. Quite the contrary, Paul says that he came and he preached with weakness, timid, and trembling heart. He said, my message and, and my preaching were, were, you know, they were very plain. It was the basic truth. He could care less what you thought about his preaching ability. What he wanted was for you to know Jesus Christ. He, he didn't care if you remembered his name. You know, five minutes after you left the service, he wanted you to know Jesus and to take him home with you. He wanted you to understand what Jesus did for you on the cross. Listen, his confidence came not from his intellect, from, from his training, from his personal ability, from his religious background. No, Paul's confidence came from the indwelling presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that made Paul's message powerful. Dr. Tony Evans said Paul placed his entire dependence on the message itself, which he got from God, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit to make that message effective. So his preaching wasn't about him. It wasn't about his ability. He wasn't trying to, to polish his pistol, so to speak. It was solely about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was building God's kingdom, not his kingdom. And he was building God's kingdom one precious soul at a time. I, I've said it, and you've heard it said before. Ministry is not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. Paul wrote these words, work hard. Work hard so God can approve you. Be a good worker. One that does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Now, we all need to pause and just ask the question, well, who in the world was Paul writing to? Well, it's pretty obvious. We know, first of all, Paul was specifically speaking to Timothy. To a young man named Timothy. This letter is specifically addressed to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's student, so to speak. He was a disciple of Paul. He was a protege, a mentee. He was a very important Paul, a, a part of Paul's missionary team. He was a young man that Paul was training in ministry. And, and I don't know this for a fact, but I can just imagine that Paul was hoping that one day when he got to the point where he could no longer do what God had called him to do, that he'd be able to pass that ministry on to Timothy. That's what you do. He was training up the next generation. You know, it's very easy for us to, to believe that Paul is just writing here to preachers. 
And then to think, well, you know, God hadn't called me to be a preacher, so this doesn't apply to me. And I, you know, just kind of overlook what Paul is saying and let it slide on to somebody else. But friends, Paul is, is, is not just writing to Timothy. Paul especially is writing to the church as a whole. Think about this. When he put it in the context of him writing to us as a church. Church, he said, work hard so that God can approve you. Be a good worker. Work together. One that does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly explains the Word of God. It has been a personal goal of mine for the last 23 years for Harvest to be a church that preached and taught the truth. Not just from the pulpit, but in every facet that we have an opportunity to be able to do it. You've heard me say many times that if my preaching is the only spiritual nourishment that you get in a week, you're going to starve to death spiritually. Why? Because it's not enough. It's not enough. And, and you heard me also say that, that if you can only give God one hour on Sunday morning, skip the preaching and go to Sunday school. Have I not said that? I have, yeah. Why? Because Sunday school or Bible study or whatever you call it is extremely important for your spiritual development if you're going to be a true disciple of the Lord. That's where you have your best opportunity for growing up spiritually in the Lord. That's where you learn truth. That's where you teach truth. That's where you share truth. That's where you build relationships physically and spiritually. That's where you connect his family. You're not going to do that in here. You do that out there in those classrooms, in those small groups. That's where you get an opportunity to serve. That's where you get ministered to. Who knows, Sunday school may be where God calls you to be a teacher. That's certainly where God affirmed my calling to be a teacher was in a Sunday school class. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Timothy, my dear son, be strong with the special favor that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach many things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses now teach these great truths to trustworthy people who are able to pass them on to others. So what did Paul say? Paul said, well, I've taught you. Now, Timothy, you take what I taught you and you teach somebody else. And it's then it's their responsibility to teach even more people, and then those are to teach even more people. You see, the process of teaching, the, the cycle of teaching truth must never end. It's got to be something that we do all the time. So, so Paul was clearly challenging Timothy to stop and realize that he could not bear the process of discipling others. That, that's a burden that he could not bear alone. He needed to be intentional in passing that spiritual baton to faithful men and women who could then transfer that truth to other people. So there's no question when we ask the question here, who is, Timothy, who is Paul writing to? He wrote to Timothy, no doubt about it. But he also wrote to the church. The church corporately. We have a responsibility to teach truth. Amen? We do. But listen to me. Paul not only wrote to Timothy and the church, he wrote to you. He wrote to individuals just like you and me, to people. I was called to be a Sunday school teacher long before God ever called me to be a pastor. Did I know that? Was it written in big letters on a sign, a billboard sign? 
You're going to be a teacher now? No. I'll tell you how it happened. Our Sunday school teacher was in the Air Force, and he got orders for Colorado Springs War College. And he left, and one Sunday, he was there, and the next Sunday, he was gone. And we, we all walked in a room, there was eight of us. We looked at each other like, we don't have a teacher, so who's going to teach? And we pushed the, boat, the book around to whoever would look at it, and it wound up in my corner. And I thought, I can't teach. I've never done it. I don't know how to teach. And that first Sunday that I taught, you could have taken my socks and got a gallon bucket of water out of them. You talking about scared to death? I had a plain Jane Bible, had no helps in it whatsoever. I have no clue what I taught that day. God bless those people. They were loving. They came back the next Sunday. <laughs> but you know what? It wasn't long before we had 50 people in that classroom. Why? Because I'd always wanted to study God's Word, and then God gave me a reason to study. When you teach, you're going to study, or you're going to be a fool. <laughs> and I didn't want to be that, so I studied hard. And I found out that you, you learn about 75% more than you ever get a chance to teach. So there's a great process and aspect of being a teacher. You'll learn and grow in the Lord. Now, look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Paul said, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if you're asked about your Christian hope, Always be ready to explain it. Always be prepared to tell people why you believe what you believe. Steve Flockhart said that many, many of us can quote the exact stats of our favorite football team, our favorite sports team, whatever it is. He said you might know all the facts, the numbers, the players, the wins, the losses. But when it comes to the Bible, many Christians border on being illiterate. I would also add the word AWOL. Yet Peter told us to be ready to give a defense. What does that mean? It means that we all need to be ready to share what we believe and why we believe it. We all need to be able to articulate the reason for our faith in Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. That's, that's an individual's responsibility. Now, there are two things that are required if you're going to follow Peter's instructions. First of all, you have to study God's Word diligently. Study it. You can do that. You can open up that Bible and you can study God's Word and you can learn. You need to get you a translation you can understand. But you can, you can do that. You can be diligent in the study of God's Word. You must also state God's Word clearly and intelligently. In the world that we live in today, we must all be educated and confident in defending our faith. Now, we should never study to win an argument, okay? You understand what I'm saying? But we need to study and grow in the Lord so we can win souls to Christ. God has called all Christians to be a part of making disciples. We all know this verse very well. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and he told his disciples. By the way, are you a disciple of Christ? If you are, say amen. I think we are. You can be a Christian and not be a good disciple. Or you can be a Christian and be a good disciple. The choice is yours. He said, I have been given, this is Jesus' words, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, I am at the top. 
I give the orders. Therefore, he says in verse 19, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, he said, Teach these new disciples. You get that? Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And he says, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, discipleship is all about teaching others what you've been taught. Every Christian is called to be a disciple, but also a discipler. A true disciple is a lifelong student of the Lord, someone who is a student, someone who teaches. In one sense, we'll always be learning the truths of God's Word because spiritual maturity takes a lifetime to achieve. You're not going to get there. I have not arrived. The more I study, the more I realize I don't know. But it's all about studying. It's all about learning. It's all about teaching what the Bible teaches us. There are several New Testament writers that strongly urge Christians like you and me to study hard, to learn well, and to teach effectively the spiritual truths and the principles that we've learned, teach them to the next generation. And there's some warning in some of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to mature Christians. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world, or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you couldn't handle anything stronger and you still aren't ready. The writer of Hebrews could have been Paul, could have been somebody else, but he says there is so much more that we would like to say about this. There's more information we'd like to give you, but you don't seem to listen, so it's hard to make you understand. Look at verse 12. He said, you have been Christians a long time now. A long time. And you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need somebody to teach you again the basic things a beginner must learn about the scriptures. You are like babies who drink only milk and cannot eat solid food. And a person who's living own milk isn't very far along in the Christian life and doesn't know much about doing what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, those who have trained themselves to recognize the difference between right and wrong and then do what is right. Peter also added, so get rid of all the malicious behavior and deceit. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and backstabbing. He said you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for the nourishment as a baby cries for milk now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You know, a, a, a baby doesn't grow typically. If a baby, you know, if a baby doesn't grow, they're not going to survive. They don't last. You want your baby to grow, what do you do? You feed it. Change its diapers too, but you feed it. Because <laughs> if you put it in one end, it comes out the other, right? And you have to take care of them. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. We won't go there. Um, the, the same principle is true for our spiritual maturity. The same Word of God that helped us to be born of God is the same Word of God that's going to help us to mature in the Lord. 
Now, I, I've noticed that there are a couple things about newborn babies that are important. First of all, seldom do you have to teach them or tell them to eat. They kind of know how to do that, don't they? They know when they're hungry. And they're pretty good at letting you know when they're hungry. Whether it's the middle of the night or the middle of the day, they're going to let you know that. Also notice that you, you also won't find a baby consuming a really big meal on Sunday hoping that it's going to last them the rest of the week. You get that? Babies eat on a regular basis. They, they eat every day. Most of them eat every couple, two or three hours. But they love to eat. Christians need to do the same thing. We need to love the Word of God. We need to lay off the spiritual junk food. We all need a steady diet and a constant application of God's Word. Why God's Word? It's, it's pretty simple. It's because God's Word is truth, right? God's Word is truth. Uh, the, the Baptist faith and message, and you've heard me refer to that little, little pamphlet that we have as Southern Baptists. It, it states this about Scripture. It says the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God as its author, salvation for its end, and truth, truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. Praise the Lord. God didn't give us a guest book. He gave us truth. I shared on Tuesday morning in my scriptural devotion that every year around Easter and Christmas, I, I get to see these TV programs that come on that do their best to try to explain away the truth of God or some of them try to understand who Jesus was and is. Uh, that, my friend, I believe is honestly, humanly impossible. Remember I said the other day, Paul called Jesus what? An indescribable gift. How do you describe Jesus? How do you do that? His eternal existence defies human reason. And yet scripture called Jesus Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. God is with us. And yet we know that Jesus walked on earth as a man wrapped in human flesh. Go figure. How do you understand that? So who was he? Was he God? Was he man? Was he half God? Half man, we know he had a heavenly father, but we know he had an earthly mother. So what was Jesus? Half God? Half man? Try this. He was fully God and fully man. He was all man and all God. You know, it took the church about 300 years to settle on that understanding that he was the God-man. 300 years for those really smart people to figure it out. 300 years. Jesus was fully God. He was fully man at the same time. He had to be both God and man to be able to accomplish the redemptive task that the Heavenly Father had given him. That certainly was the testimony of God the Father. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. John writes, and Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding of his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, 
also gives us the testimony that this is true. So we have these three witnesses. We have the Spirit, we have the water, we have the blood, and all three agree on who Jesus is. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about His Son. And all who believe in the Son of God know that this is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a what? A liar. Because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. As you can see, John declared for all who read these words that Jesus wasn't just simply a man. He was divine. He was fully man. He was fully God at the same time. Boy, that's hard to wrap your mind around. But that was God's plan. That's the way he did it. In fact, Jesus had to be both God and man for him to be able to accomplish the amazing work of redemption that the Father sent him to do. You know what's really interesting when you study Scripture is that throughout Jesus' ministry, we can see both of these natures, the, the fact that he was all man, and the fact that he was all God, we see those clearly right in Scripture, parallel with each other. For instance, as a man, we see Jesus asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. Uh, the disciples are panicking. They're rowing those boats just as fast as they could. They've already pulled the sails down because the wind would have blown them away. But they're rowing and they're getting nowhere and Jesus is asleep up in the bow. And they finally get up enough nerve to wake him up. And what does he do? As man, he's asleep. But as God, he says, be still. And the wind and the waves slick calm. Wow. All man. All God. As a man, we know that Jesus was hungry. Spent 40 days, nights in the wilderness with no water and no food. How long can you go by the refrigerator? Yeah. 40 days and 40 nights without food. And then what did he do? He took a little boy's bag lunch, a few fish and a few loaves of bread, and he fed, what, thousands of people? And he said he had 12 baskets of leftovers. He sent 12 doggy bags home with the apostles. Plenty left over. Yeah. As a man, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that we were tempted and are tempted. And yet as God, he never one time sinned. He lived in the same sinful world that we do and he never sinned. The Bible says that as a man, Jesus wept when he lost his dear friend Lazarus. He stood at the, the, the tomb and he wept. And yet, as God, what does the Bible say? He will one day wipe away all of our tears. Wow. As a man, Jesus died on the cross that was meant for you and me. Boy, that's, I still have a hard time fully understanding. I know, I know what I've read. I know what I believe. But why in the world would he do that? But he died for you and he died for me. But as God says, he defeated death and sin. 
He rose from the dead, never to die again. That's huge. Nobody ever did that before. What did Paul write in 1 Corinthians 15? He said, it is the same way for the resurrection of the dead. In other words, he's saying, you, you may die now, but one of these days, you, you're going to rise from the grave. Now, I've seen some people dug up from the grave. In fact, I saw some Civil, civil War people, pre-Civil War people, who were buried, and when they dug them up, all they found was different colored dirt and a few buttons and a belt buckle and a tooth. Not much. But look at what he says. He said, our earthly bodies, which die and decay, will be different. When they are resurrected, for they will never die. Hey, praise God. One of these days I'm going to get a body that doesn't ache and hurt and pop and, you know, all that stuff. When you get up in the morning, it's not going to get old. It's not going to die. Come on, Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready. Yeah. Look at what he writes in chapter 15, verse 52. He said, it will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died will be raised with transformed bodies. And then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. Our, for our perishable earthly bodies must be transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. When this happens, he said, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die, then, the, then at last the scripture will come true. It's going to be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. If you read over in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, you'll find that there's a point where it says that death and the grave will be thrown into the lake of fire. Why? Because it's not needed anymore. Nobody else is going to die. No more, no more graves are needed. It's done. You know, as a man, Jesus was led like an innocent lamb to be slaughtered. I just got this picture in my head when I was thinking about that this week of, of a little boy walking along with a string around a lamb's neck. Not a rope, a string. And that little lamb's just walking along, that little boy. And he hands it off to one of the priests. The priest takes it back and he takes a knife and he takes that little lamb's head and pulls it back and he cuts his throat. And he takes his life. The lamb never said a word. Never said a word. Didn't fight. Didn't break the string. Just an innocent lamb that was slain. As a man, Jesus was led like an innocent lamb to be slaughtered. But as God, he is the line of the tribe of Judah that is forever victorious. I love Revelation chapter 5. Listen to what it says. John writes, And I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one, God the Father, who was sitting on the throne. And there was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. I think that means it was perfectly sealed. And I saw a strong angel, may have been Michael, may have been Gabriel, one of the archangels, no doubt, who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and unroll it? But no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. 
John said in verse 4, Then I wept, I wept, because no one could be found who was worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the line of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, he's conquered. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he is worthy to open the scroll and break its seven seals. In verse 6, he said, I looked and I saw a lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who had been killed but was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes. Mm, he hears perfectly. <laughs> And he sees perfectly, which are the seven spirits of God that are sent into every part of the earth. He is omnipresent. He stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And he took the scroll and the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a heart. And they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were killed and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become God's kingdom and his priest. And they will reign on the earth. John said, then I looked again and I heard the singing of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and, and the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, the lamb is worthy. The lamb who was killed, he is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they also sang Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and they worshiped God and they worshiped the Lamb. My friends, the truth is this. Jesus Christ was both God and he is, was a man. He was the God-man. And listen, that is one of those essential beliefs, those essential truths that, that we share as genuine believers. But listen, without a careful study of God's precious, inerrant, infallible word, you and I would never know nor understand the truth of who Jesus is. And I want you to understand there's a whole lot more truth in the word of God that we need to know and understand. Would you agree with that? A whole lot more we need to know and understand so that we can apply it to our life. So, so I, I, you know, this, this message is about the truth challenge. But listen, I want to challenge you with three things for 2024. Three things. These are personal. First of all, I want to challenge you to become a dedicated disciple of the Lord. I want to challenge you to have a quiet time every day. Every day. That means you get up in the morning, you find yourself a, a, a little cubby hole where you can take your Bible. Everybody needs the written Word of God. I want to challenge you to find yourself 
a, a, a devotion book. I keep three or four handy all the time. Find you a devotion book where you can every day have a devotion that will apply to your life. I want to challenge you to get you a little uh, a notebook where you can have a prayer journal. You can write down questions. and You can seek answers and you can pray for people. You can remember what you prayed. You can write down what, how God answered those prayers. Everybody needs a quiet time with the Lord where you can grow up in the Lord. Amen? I challenge you, if you don't have one, start one. You say, Brother Randy, I get up early in the morning and I got to go to work. So what? When I was a welder, I used to do my quiet time in the middle of the day. I had 47 minutes for lunch. I'd eat in 10 and spend the rest of that time studying God's Word, praying, growing in the Lord. You can do that. Don't wait till it's dark, though, and don't wait till it's time to go to bed. You know why? You'll get started praying and you'll go to sleep. If you'll do it early in the morning, then you can feed on the Word of God all day long. You need to do it. You can do it. I challenge you to do that. I also want to challenge you to do something that maybe you're already there, but if you're not, I want to challenge you to do it. Join a Bible study. Are you hearing me? We got, we got enough adult Bible studies for everybody in here to be a part of one. And if we don't have enough, we're we going to have, okay? But, but join you a Bible study. Why? Because that's where you're going to grow. Look, look when, I was a Christian for a lot of years, but I never started growing until a man by the name of Bill Rutledge, who taught our young married class, said, I care about you, Randy, and I want you to grow in the Lord. And he began to mentor me. He began to pray for me. We, we talked at church on Sunday. We talked during the week. He lived about a quarter of a mile through the woods, and he would walk to my house, and I'd walk to his house. And Mary Lou began to, to, to talk with Joyce and help Joyce. And, you know, we, we grew more in that Sunday school class than we've ever grown in our life. Why? Because we were, we were baby Christians that needed growth. Bible studies where you grow. It's where you're going to get enough nourishment to survive as a, as a Christian. And you won't be a baby Christian all your life if you get involved in a Bible study. Yeah, you can do it. Remember I said if you, if you need to, skip preaching and go to Bible study. I, that's not going to offend me. Because you know why? It won't be long before you'll grow to the point you want to be in both. Now here, here's the third challenge. And I speak to you as a church. I, I want our church to start four to five new Sunday school classes in 2024. Are you hearing me? I haven't talked to Dave about this, but this is doable. I want us to do four or five new classes because you know what we need to do? We need to grow in the Lord, right? Look at all these empty seats. How do you do that? You do that through Sunday school. So I'm challenging us to start four or five new more new Sunday school classes. And, 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 you know, you're already saying, well, where are we going to put them? I don't care where we put them. We got closets. We got a whole space. We, you know, when we were at the school, we looked for every nick and cranny we could find to put a Sunday school class. We did. And we had to pay for it. Utilize this space. We got plenty of room. Now, if we're going to start four or five new classes, you know what we need? We need at least eight to ten new teachers. 
because you need two for every class. God may be calling you to teach a Sunday school class. I didn't see it, a neon sign. But God gave me an opportunity, and guess what? You're getting one today. You're getting a personal invitation from your pastor to be a Sunday school teacher. Oh, me? Yeah, you. That's what I said. Me? They want me to teach Sunday school? Listen, if I can teach a Sunday school class, you can teach a Sunday school class. And you can be good at it. We all teach, remember? Every day by what we do and what we say. Why not grow that? Why not let God use you to the nth degree for His glory and for the growth of God's kingdom? I pray you'll accept my challenge. Because when I stand here 365 days from now, I want to see this building full. And I want to see us have a Sunday school classroom problem. Where are we going to put more classes, Pastor? We got plenty of room out there. We can build some more buildings, right? Hello? We can do it. Let's do it.